Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlos. I'm Kelly. I'm Karen and I'm frustrated. <laughs> uh, we have a guest today, Jim, who's come to tell his story. And uh, this is our third attempt <laughs> to try and fi figure out what technology is doing. So every time Jim comes to say what's going on and to share this, something happens. <laughs> Things get shut off around us. So we'll give it another shot. Anyway, welcome to the show, Jim. Yes, good to be here. Um, can you start uh, by just giving us your own background? Certainly. Uh, well, I'm a 22-year veteran uh, of the military, retired several years ago, and uh, pretty much now just kind of hanging around and doing a whole lot of research and whatever I feel like doing. So uh, sounds fairly easy, but it's quite busy. Well, somebody has kept you busy. Uh, very busy. Very busy. And what was your role in the military, Jim? I was uh, military police for all of that 22 years. So uh, bounced around a little bit. Didn't really leave the province other than deployments overseas. Um, one to Haiti in 95 and off to Kosovo in 1999. Uh, both very eye-opening deployments. Uh, yeah, and I'd go again. Did you do investigative work then? Uh, not, not too much investigative work uh, on those deployments. We had many other duties to perform. Uh, certainly there were a few investigations of a minor nature, uh, traffic accidents, thefts, that sort of thing. But uh, um, over there, you're doing a lot of that kind of work and uh, escort duties, road moves, that sort of thing. So uh, back in Canada, though, you're working much like any other police officer does in any other agency. Uh, criminal investigations, uh, lots of security work, you know, patrol work. It's all pretty much the same. So, Jim, when you came back and uh, from being deployed and left the military, um, you said you were just kind of kicking around, um, I don't know, just like filling in your time now. Oh, yeah. It's got to be very different than, than being on duty, right? Actually, it's, uh, yeah, it's extremely different. Uh, the pace is terribly slow uh, compared to what it was while I was, uh, while I was working. Um, and I really needed something to fill the time. So I, um, I started picking up this research project on my late grandfather, which is very much like a, another investigation. Uh, the difference being, of course, he's passed on. So it wasn't like I could walk up to him and ask him questions in person. Um, very, very challenging it has been, and uh, I'm sure it's still going to be very, very challenging, uh, till I finish this project. Um, yeah. Were there gaps in his history? Is that why you became interested? Uh, there were huge gaps in the history. I actually started this while I was still in, in 1998. Um, so quite a while ago, um, one of my uncles put out a book on the family uh, after both my uh, grandmother and my grandfather had uh, had died. And I guess they just wanted to make sure the stories were still around. And uh, so they put it together, had all kinds of nice stories in it. Um, but being still a serving member at the time, I zeroed in on the uh, chapter that dealt with the war years. I wanted to see and hear what he had done in those five years of the Second World War. Uh, so when I started reading it, I was disappointed in a in an awful hurry. There was uh, very little in there. 
um, a few key points, uh, but but nothing that really said who he was, what he did, and where he did it. And uh, I just needed to find out what was going on. So, does this come from the space of that you've kind of? I won't say you've gone through the Second World War, but that being in the military yourself, that you feel a connection to him. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, or is there an obligation? Well, what obligation? Yeah, yeah in a sense. Um, you know, soldiers are soldiers. Um, you don't necessarily know each other. In this case, we do or did. And um, he had a story that needed to be told. And uh, anytime, uh, you know, there's uh, a soldier out there that's uh, wandering around and nobody knows anything about what he's done. It's kind of a shame. Um, a lot of times they don't want to tell their story, or at least that's what they say. Down inside, I think they really do, but have trouble finding uh, an audience that would understand, or they think would understand, so they just kind of keep it to themselves. And many times it can be a traumatic story, so it's just kind of blocked out. Um, in this case, I didn't know anything about it. I uh, didn't know why nobody knew about the story. I could only guess that it was something they all wanted to put behind them. Uh, the family, uh, my mother and whatnot, uh, they knew very little, very, very little. They were all really young at the time. Uh, so what they would have seen, heard, or been told uh, at the age of maybe 10 years old for probably the oldest uh, kid at the time in the family uh, could have been interpreted many different ways. So uh, transferred into a book, you know, 70 years later, a uh, lot of interpretation there. So what really went on? So I just set out to, uh, you know, find out what really happened in those five years. So how was your investigation coming along when you decide to come here? Oh, Yes. Uh, well, there were a few things I, I did manage to find, uh, you know, back in 98 and 99. I got a service record which told me some things, but most of it was blank in the years that I was interested in. Uh, for some reason or other, the records didn't make it to his service record. So uh, I was, I was kind of disappointed about that because I thought I'd get a lot more out of that document. So I pushed the families. You know, do you have any papers? Do you have any pictures? Do you have any stories? What can you tell me? And uh, I got very little out of that. Uh, again, a few little tidbits here and there that uh, sent me off in certain directions. But certainly nothing that I could could prove outside of a, a simple statement. So, uh, yeah, many, many years of frustrating research in history books, uh, the good old internet, which is sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Um, and nobody to really ask. So, um, my wife had come to see you at some point, I think in 2014. And, um, she came home and convinced me that maybe I should come and see you about this research. Uh, now I kicked that around quite a bit. Um, why? I don't really know. Uh, in my investigative experience, this would not have been a place that I would come to ask a question. 
I now know that it's probably one of the first places I should have gone, but that's hindsight. Um, definitely unorthodox in terms of how we are trained to do investigations. Uh, so this was not on my list. Um, then, uh, you know, deep down inside, there's, there's like trust issues. Uh, you know, who do you trust to ask these questions? You know, you're looking at very personal family information and, uh, you know, you don't just walk around the street, you know, asking people questions. Um, and trust I found, especially since I left the, the military, uh, very difficult to hand out, uh, the people you work with in the military, whether you liked them or not, there was always a sense of trust. You know, you knew you could count on them when you really needed them. But when I left the military, it, it was obvious it was more of an every man for himself kind of, uh, scenario. So trusting people, yeah, difficult for me. Um, however, when I decided to come see you, for some reason, I felt I could trust you. Uh, put my finger on it. No, I can't. I don't know why, but I'm glad I came. Very glad I came. Uh, this project was going nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And I was, the whole idea was to put together some kind of a book or a document to augment my uncle's book here. Uh, to just kind of fill in the chapter of those five years during the Second World War. That was what I intended it to be when I started. What it is turning out to be is pretty much a very large book all on its own. Uh, there's just way too much information that I am now getting after coming to see you for many sessions now. So about how long, Jim? Has it been about a year? I believe it was... November 2014 is when I came to see you the first time. Okay, this is May 2016. Yes, and uh, on average I was coming once a month. Uh, the way I would work is I'd come to see you, and I had uh, generally have about 10 questions prepared. And they were questions, at the start they're targeted questions, right? I need to know this information. After that it's kind of like, well, it'd be nice to know these. Because um, you never really know where you're going to go after you get your first answer. Um, generally, the way it worked was, is I'd, I'd come with 10 questions. I'd be lucky if uh, we finished three. Not because you couldn't get the information, but because when the information came in, it was such a, a marvelous story that was starting to develop that we just let it go. And uh, as you talked, we just kept talking and talking and basically listening to my grandfather tell his story a little bit at a time. So 10 questions, I'd probably just come in here with three, I'd be good. But uh, 10, just in case he felt like giving us straight answers. Uh, <laughs> um, Which apparently he did not often. No, um, I got I got the sense early on that he would be sitting there beside me as I was on the computer, uh, laughing at me many times. Um, you know, you know yourself. You'd do your research and you'd mutter to yourself, "What the heck, right?" Um, I think he actually heard me saying, "I love this challenge." You know, I love a good challenge. I love a good riddle. This is great stuff. And uh, he's playing the game now. And. Uh, very rarely did he give us a straight answer. He'd give us little tidbits, little clues, little riddles to make this like another investigation for me. 
And in doing that, um, I actually got to learn a broader part of the story rather than the one targeted answer I was looking for. I want to take the opportunity to interject and uh, also just throw you a compliment because in, in a lot of ways, you're a dream client uh, in the sense that you come for a session, you don't necessarily get straight answers or you don't know how to place it right away. Um, and I know, I know you left this part out, but you usually spend the 30 days doing your research, going back and making sense of everything. Oh, yes. And w- that's what we call doing your homework. And a lot of, a lot of uh, clients come and, and don't want to work. They just want to hear what they need right in that moment. Uh, So to hear how hard you work and and how much you love the process, how much you've accepted the process uh, is, I think, just remarkable. Well, it's yeah. And it's it's more than just uh, uh, getting the one simple answer. That's too easy. You know, this allows you to expand your mind and, and the thought process. You get the whole story. We're happy dancing over here, Jim. Happy dance, yes. <laughs> oh, so true. <laughs> yeah, like she said, because y- you're you're listening, and you you gave him time. You gave him you gave him the opportunity to speak. Some people come in and want medium, and they fire off so many questions in a row that I can't even get a full answer out, and they've already cut the person off to get to their next question. And you didn't do that to your grandfather. And I, I think I can recall a couple of times, but you can always correct me, Jim, where your grandfather would say something to you and you'd say, well, I swear to God, he was sitting over my shoulder when I wrote that oh, okay. or when I read that, or because you would come in and his response to something um, would be an affirmation for you that he was present, but not just in my home with you and I, but in your own home. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's... A couple of times I was quite shocked, actually. Um, one day in particular, I came to town early because it was a nice day and I really had nothing else to do. And I was just waiting to come here for my uh, appointment time. And because uh, I had time to kill, I sat in a parking lot in my truck and I opened my notes and I started reading off my questions. And when I read the questions, it helps me if I read them out loud to myself. Uh, kind of sets me on the right path. And um, I, I, he had to be sitting there listening to it. Uh, there was a couple of questions that I said to myself, I need this answer. This is a huge piece of this puzzle. It's what I need. When I got here, um, I think I asked one question, and he answered four of my questions in a row before I even asked them. And at the end of one of them, he stated, Tell him that is a big piece of his puzzle. <laughs> and I, I really didn't know what to say. But it's so freaky. Like, it's like, but what Jim, the that's why people listen. That's what they want to hear. Yeah. That's what they want to hear. They want to know they're listening to us. Yeah. So uh, uh, the questions being answered before I, uh, before I even asked them, that gave me a sense that, you know, uh, he was right there involved with uh with my research and uh uh maybe that's why sometimes uh i go to certain sites on the internet that really have no idea why i'm there and then all of a sudden i see something that actually works for me right um and that that got more and more clear as the investigation went on as i would find answers to some of the clues you were providing or he was providing um I just knew that 
what I was looking at was right. You know, like it, a lot of these are one word clues and uh, they could take in a million different directions where you're supposed to go. You have uh, very little context to put that clue into. And so you could sit there and scan the internet for hours and uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then one day, three, four weeks later, which was very common, all of a sudden the light bulb would go on and I knew I was looking at the answer. And uh, which was quite amazing, quite amazing. Can I, is it okay if I ask for you to start launching into the story then? Oh, well, certainly. Yeah, I um, mm-hmm. like I said, well, like I said in the first two times we tried to do this, <laughs> um, I've been privileged to the story a couple times now, and uh, it's it's probably my favorite history lesson to to listen to. Um, just the way that you tell it, Jim, uh, the way that you love your grandfather and have spent so much time honoring him, uh, I think is just absolutely wonderful. Yes, well, thank you. It's uh. It's been awesome. It's been an awesome experience, and it's uh, I'm sure it's going to stay that way for quite a while because we got a lot of work to do on this yet. So, um, yeah, I'll get into some of the some of the points here. Um, I'm going to start with I think I'll start with the the group photo. I'll call it the group photo. Um, in my uncle's book, it's stated in one sentence that my grandfather joined a resistance organization. It didn't say when, it didn't say where, it didn't give it a name, it didn't say what he did, just the statement he joined a resistance group. Um, so, of course, I'm searching the internet, resistance groups, Holland, 1940 through to 45. Um, if you ever do that and, you know, click on images, you get some awesome images. A lot of it has absolutely nothing to do with resistance groups. It's just the internet. Um, pictures here, pictures there, doesn't mean anything to me. Um, I remember the one specific picture of the group, and I'd looked at it, oh man, a hundred times. Didn't didn't dawn on me there's anything about this photo that meant anything. And um, I came to see you. I came to see you in one of my sessions, and I brought this picture with me. And uh, I asked you, uh, you know, have a look at this picture. And uh, was my grandfather in this picture? A simple question. And you took the picture, and uh, uh, he identified himself to you, which was an absolutely remarkable moment, uh, because other than a few scattered photos that I managed to collect of my grandfather prior to the war, there was nothing. And all of a sudden, here he is in this very publicized photograph all over the internet in all kinds of books uh, used for different reasons, right? There he is standing in this photograph. Um, And when, when we knew it was him, it was very easy to see that it was him. You know, all his features would, you know, they, they were all very recognizable after that. Well, they're recognizable to you. Oh, yes. <laughs> but not right. to me. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. there were 15 people in the, in the photo. Yes. T- two women, I think. Two, or three? I think three. Three women. Okay. Yeah, quite a quite a motley crew looking like, you know, not, if you, if you picture, you know, a regiment of soldiers, that was not this picture. 
right? Two rows of, of people that look like they could come from any walk of life standing there and look like a partially treed area. It's kind of a neat photo. And like I say, it's a very popular photo. It's used anytime uh, people talk about the, the, the resistance in Holland during the war. But the one thing about that photo that uh, I found really interesting was three or four websites you find it on, the names that are associated with the members on the photo are all different, right? Like you might find two photos that identify the same person as, I'll, I'll say Mr. Smith. There isn't a Smith in there, but I'll say Mr. Smith. Um, the reality is a Smith isn't even correct. All the names that were uh, placed with the photo, uh, they were essentially false names. Um, I guess, and I can only assume at this point that the photo was taken and uh, the names that were provided to go with the photo w were their secret names, code names, whatever term you want to give it, um, that they would use so they could still operate and do their jobs without uh, the Germans come hunting them down and their families, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a very much a safety issue. Um, so yeah, uh, there I've got a picture and I know it's him. But now I got to prove it's him because the name that went with it is not his. So uh, I went as far as to contact a, a museum in Holland that that, uh, that is in the area where this photo was taken. And they have all kinds of history about the war in that area. And uh, they absolutely denied that this was him, right? No, his name, oh, I'll say the name. The name was Hop. He was given the name Hop. Well, that's not my grandfather's name, but the museum was adamant that, no, the guy in the picture, his name is Hop. The reality is, is there is no Hop, right? Find me Mr. Hop, right? There isn't one. So uh, it was obvious it was a secret name, a code name. So I know this, this, um, talking about this picture, it's kind of in the middle of your story, right? Cause this isn't the first clue that you had. This isn't the first piece of information that you started the journey on, correct? No, it's, it wasn't the first piece. Uh, okay. no, not at all. So, so uh, sorry, I wanted to say that when you said that you received your grandfather's uh, record of service, you asked for it. Yes. This wasn't something that just kind of landed on your doorstep and, and this began your, your investigation. You, you were wanting to fill in the gaps. Uh, absolutely. Uh, nobody in the family had the information I was looking for. So I decided that, okay, I'll grab his death certificate, get a copy, send it into the Ministry of Defense in Holland, and uh, ask for his, uh, his service record and any other information they might have in a file mm -hmm. on him, not knowing what I was actually going to get back. And it didn't take too long. I got his record of service back. That's the only thing that came back. Mm -hmm. And um, it recorded his activities uh, as a soldier up until 1939. I think the summer of 39. Well, the war in Holland didn't start till May 1940. Units were mobilized late 1939 in preparation for the war that they knew was coming. But none of that was recorded on a service record. Right. In fact, the regiment that he was listed under on a service record was not the one that he ended up going to war in. And that sent me off in all the wrong directions. And, and uh, 
I happened to be conversing at the time with uh, these people that run this website, War Over Holland, and they're all historians and whatnot in Holland that specialize in that era. And so I would send them information and say, you know, what do you have? What can you tell me about this? Where should I go to get more information? And it, it was clear that there was a lot of open areas, even with their expertise. So um, I had them uh, look in the 11th Regiment. The 11th Regiment deployed in a certain area. So that sent me looking in that area to see if I can find more clues on the internet. And it just wasn't working out. And one night I sat down and I thought, you know, in the Canadian military, say, say you're posted here to North Bay. You do four or five years here in North Bay and they transfer you somewhere else, right? Well, when you move to another unit, you change units. Your unit doesn't come with you, right? So you're moving to another unit, another number, another name in another part of the country. So I thought, well, what happens? Well, could that have happened in Holland with him? Because he actually moved before he got married, just before the war. So I messaged back to these experts and they said, yes, definitely, that's a very good possibility. So then I figured, okay, there's a good chance that it wasn't the 11th Regiment. It was another regiment that I should be looking for. Uh, new problem no information, right? That it's just not recorded. Um, if you're looking for specific people, it's a very difficult thing to do because anyone other than a prominent officer at the time in the Dutch army, you're not going to find their name anywhere unless they're lucky to have something attached to a photograph somewhere. Um, when they say the unit did this, it's always the officer's name, Right. The, the, the actual troops that did the job, they're never mentioned, right? And it's kind of sad, but that's, that's very traditional, right? So uh, finding his name attached to another regiment was going to be a big chore. So I put the word out again, as I said earlier, uh, you know, to the family. Do you have anything, any information, any documents? And an aunt that I hadn't seen for many, many years, actually she's not an aunt, she's a cousin, um, she sent me an envelope, um, and, and this is an envelope, like uh, a very old, tattered envelope. You couldn't read anything on it other than the postage stamp that was on it. And um, she sent a note with it saying, good luck with this. I have no idea what it says. So I took the envelope. I digitally scanned it. I tried to enhance it with contrast, different colors, whatever, just something to make the letters stand out a little bit better. And when I sat back and looked at it, I could actually read it. Uh, this was awesome because there were some huge pieces of information just on this envelope that nobody thought meant anything. She said she pulled it out of an old drawer in the house somewhere, right? It's like, what a shame. But this was something I really, really needed. Um, so on this envelope, actually, uh, the postage mark was October 1939. Uh, what does that tell me? That told me that this gentleman, my grandfather, actually deployed in October 1939 to an area known as Horsen uh, in, in Holland. That's very important information because 
that is not on his service record. Jim, was it addressed to him in this location? No, this was a letter he was sending home. Okay. I don't know what was in the envelope. Um, I'm led to believe it was a postcard of some kind. I don't have that postcard, uh, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, this proved that he deployed prior to the war, which sets up something I'll get into in a, in a little bit here. But also, more importantly, on the envelope, it identifies his name, okay, the fact that he was a, a conscript, which was generally all the soldiers of the Dutch army at the time, other than the uh, few enlisted officers. Um, but it also said that this was written from a field post, okay, another important piece, and then it identified his regiment, okay, 29th Infantry Regiment. That was a huge, huge clue for me because I could take that number now, go to the battle maps in 1940 and see where his unit was actually deployed. Further from that, you can take that uh, through all the war journals that were written by the officers and you can get a very good idea of what the regiment actually was involved in. Um, skipping ahead a little bit, in this case, his regiment, because of his age, was held in reserve. The younger, younger lads, they were pushed forward. They were ultimately the first ones that would have to see battle. And uh, they'd use the reserve uh, troops to fill the holes, move around wherever they needed them, right? So very early on, his regiment was called upon to, to plug a hole, so to speak. So uh, actually they were uh, ordered to march uh, all day and all night uh, to the north, around across a couple of bridges, and, and around to an area just outside of Renan, a village of Renan, uh, which is what's a common uh, city in that area. Uh, not far from Arnhem. And most people would be familiar with the town of Arnhem for movies and whatnot. So, and Nijmegen as well. Nijmegen is right there as well. So uh, his unit moved into that location because the Germans were pushing through the lines. And uh, I guess the idea was they'd move there and they'd have a rest. And then they'd take up position and see what was going to come through, right? But as soon as they got there, they got attacked. And uh, they were hit pretty hard, according to the journals. And the men scattered. Scattered everywhere um very little information after that i think that's like the lines were cut you know no more information coming it was pretty much the end of that 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 regiment as it was um so yeah very important piece of information from just that envelope but that takes us to a, yet another session because now I have this information, but now I'm wanting more, right? You can't leave me hanging, right? So what happened? What happened to grandfather? Um, I came to see you and uh, I asked the question, uh, uh, first of all, like, was he in this area to verify what I learned from the journals? And you confirmed he was in that area around Renan. And, okay, what happened next? right? Uh, what happened to him? And uh, I guess he came out and said that uh, he was taken as a prisoner of war. And then you actually started getting a vision. You were able to see 
this whole process. You were explaining to me how uh, um, he was in a, in a treed area and you could see the Germans moving around, coming towards him. And at times he was running, trying to get away from him, trying to hide. But eventually they caught up with him and uh, they took him prisoner. Okay, so what happened after that? Well, one piece of information I did get from actually from my father, he, he, he had spoken to my grandfather uh, uh, before he had died. And um, he said that he ended up in a church in a town called Vorden. And that I think, well, I hope I get the relation right here. I think it was his sister was a caretaker in this church. So when he got in there, uh, this is where they put them for the night. Um, he was able to pass information to his sister to send home to his wife that he was okay, taken prisoner, and he's going somewhere, right? And uh, yeah, so I haven't verified yet that that personal contact, but uh, I should be able to do that. I hope I'm able to do that just to tie up that loose end. But now we came up with a question, okay, where did he go, right? Where did he go as a prisoner of war? Um, going back to the experts that I'd been speaking with, um, they basically told me all of the Dutch soldiers that were captured were either held in custody in their own barracks in Holland, uh, or they were sent to a few camps in Germany. Usually, uh, I think it was around New Brandenburg, you know, north of Berlin. That's where the majority all went. And I said, well, I don't think he went there. And uh, the reason I say that is going back to the book my uncle wrote again, where one sentence in there stated that he was taken to a location 150 miles east of Berlin. But that is all it said. It didn't say what town, what camp, nothing. So I'm going 150 miles east of Berlin is clearly in Poland. But there was no record of any Dutch prisoners going to Poland that anybody knew about. So I started to doubt that. You know, could it have been 150 miles southeast of Berlin, which maybe would have kept it still in Germany somewhere or, or even Czechoslovakia? I mean, who knows? There's just so many different options. So, anyways, um, I transcribed uh, using a compass, I, uh, you know, with a point and a pencil, that kind of compass. Transcribed a little arc from Berlin using a map and scale and drew a little arc at 150 miles and, okay, what's on this arc? And there was only one city that landed on that arc. Now, that's assuming he ended up in a city, of course, but he had to start somewhere. And it was the, the city of Posen, Poland. And, uh, okay, did the research. Posen, lots of military activity uh, from the Germans in the, in the town of Posen, the city of Posen. Um, but there was, still wasn't enough information to uh, give me a name of a camp, right? So that brings us back to yet another session. And this is where uh, the clues and the riddles started to get real cool. So I'm hoping I'm remembering all these clues. Um, I came in to see you and I said, did he go to Poland? 
1940 as a prisoner of war. And at this point, you had grabbed a piece of paper, right? Which I absolutely love because the doodles usually turn out to mean something many, many days later. So anyways, you started writing. And when I, at the question, did he go to Poland? You wrote a, a Y and an N down on the piece of paper. Now, Y and an N to me means yes or means no, right? So which one is it? We didn't know and he didn't answer. It was just Y and an N. Um, then you wrote down five years, which really didn't mean anything to me at the time. Five years, that's not a place. Um, and then you wrote down the numbers five slash six. So five, six, if you're trying to, uh, uh, picture it. That again, what the heck does that mean? What's five, six? So we had Y. N, five, six, five years, right? To a simple question of, did he go to Poland? So back home I go, um, excited, right? I've got some clues. This is a challenge. I'm all over this. Yeah, at this point, you'd probably be the only client who was excited about that. <laughs> Many others would say I'm no good. <laughs> Well, and that would be that. <laughs> yeah, and how many should actually pick up their notes now and have a harder look at them, right? <laughs> so, uh, anyways, I'm I'm all over this. This is an awesome clue, but what did it really mean? Um, I don't know. Anyways, oh yes, there was one more clue there. Book you drew this. You drew what looked like from the side that book that my uncle had written, and you said it was a book. I'm going, okay, because that's exactly what it looks like, a ringed book. So there was something to do with the book. So that's where I started. I grabbed the book, and I went to the chapter, and I started reading it. And sure enough, there was one sentence in there uh, that said, it started with, for five years, dot, dot, dot. I won't, I don't remember the rest of the sentence. doesn't matter at this point. So I'm going, okay, there's the five years, maybe. Maybe that's the five years. But knowing how this whole process has been going, I took that, right? It was something. And I started reading. Well, it happened to be the same sentence that listed, or same paragraph that had the sentence that stating he was taken to a location 150 miles east of Berlin. So I'm going, okay, there's five years. And now I've got, happens to be in the same paragraph as, as this general locator. Okay, and then I went back. Okay, I discovered Posen was 150 miles east of Berlin. And that's in Poland. Okay, so I started researching Posen a whole lot more. What I learned was uh, Germany, when they moved into Poland, they took over the land called it Germany, right? As they did any other country they occupied. Well, when they did that, they changed the names of a lot of the cities because they were all Polish, right? They wanted to make them German. So they changed a lot of the names to German names. Well, Posen happened to be one of them. They called it Poznan. So, and it was a light bulb moment, right? Posen, Poznan. Well, wouldn't you know, one is spelt with five letters, one is spelt with six letters. Five, six. There we go. There's one of the clues. Beautiful. 
So from there I went, did he go to Poland? Yes, no. So it was clear to me, that's where he went. I love this so much. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping I'm not forgetting anything. It's too easy to get lost in this story because um, it just goes so many different directions. It, it's quite awesome. Jim, can I ask you when you when you have those moments where it becomes obvious, as you say, um, what I'm interested in the kind of feelings that you have. It's uh, well. F firstly, I laugh. I, I just start laughing. Why? It's funny. It, it is actually funny, right? Um, I think that's an extension of his sense of humor. You know, he's clearly using it. He's giving me these clues, and they're not easy clues, right? If you're easy to give up on things, you're, you're walking away from this one. It's like, no, I don't have time for this. But no, it's, it was something that I was determined to do. And uh, so when, when I see it, it's just... Uh, it's hard to describe. It's just a, a weird feeling. I just know I'm right. And of course, I'm laughing. Can I, can I answer that too? Certainly. Well, from my perspective in, in writing it down, um, I have to get out of the way so that I don't get nervous when you come in, knowing that you are a retired military officer, <laughs> used to questioning people and tripping them up. <laughs> and finding out where they lie or where they um, are fabricating things. And I think it's important, Jim, because some people think that that's what, what Kelly and I can do, that we can weave stories or read people's energy and guess at things. Yeah. And you came in solidly. Um, and each time you came, I was happy and excited to see you because you were also proving to me, not just to you or to anybody listening to this, that when I truly, I say I, but I, I know it's Kelly too. When we get out of the way and just draw a book, when we write five slash six, when we write P or, you know, whatever, all the, all the different things. I know you're going to get into another story about a map. When we say things um, that, or draw things or write or all the different ways that Kelly and I use all the six gifts, we have to just give it because we don't understand it. And and it isn't that it makes sense to us. But we have to trust that if the client's doing their work, that there will be a payoff for the work that you do. And that payoff in watching you come back each time and ask more questions. And I can't go back. I don't write notes. I don't tape record sessions, nothing. You could come back and ask a question in different ways to see if I'm going to give different answers. Right. Oh, right? yes. That, that's, that's a technique used in investigations all the time. Um, and you'd be surprised how often the answer changes, right? And then you know something's up. But I never got a sense that uh, you were fabricating anything. Uh, there's no way you could come up with this stuff and make it plug in to the story the way it does. And... Uh, just go right back to the very beginning for a second. Um, was there a hint of skepticism when I showed up the very first time? Um, I don't really think there was. Um, I kind of dove right into it. Um, not even having any clue what I was going to be getting out of any of these sessions. And uh, uh, no, it, it's been bang on, right? Like, like I say, not always that session immediately after what I come up with the, the, the evidence, right? I'll call it evidence. 
Because um, quite often it took more than one session of clues and stories to set it up so I could figure that out. And in a sense, it's almost the best way to get the story because then you're learning the whole story, not just a bunch of words. You're getting the, you know, the senses around it, the feelings, all, the whole, the whole deal. Well, and when you say that, Jim, when you would ask a question, there were times when I had to feel what your grandpa went through, that I, that I had to feel the fear of being chased, the fear of being caught, the fear of, of what are they going to do? Uh, or you're not even necessarily knowing that you're going to a concentration camp, but that what are they going to do with me? They could shoot you on the spot. But, and the, the feelings that he went through to be able to still give you the information and for me to go through that process yeah. of feeling what he feels. And also, uh, you're, the, you're my client, feeling what you feel when you hear this because this is about your grandpa. This isn't about a guy you're reading in a book or watching on a TV show. This is your own grandfather going through this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and these are the stories that I never had a chance to ask him in person. So getting it this way, you're getting the whole thing as though it is really coming from him, not just a statement, right? You know, like you can go ask somebody, you know, write down what you know about this. You're just getting a bunch of words. You know, there, there's all kinds of stuff that go with the words. And that together makes it a real story. So, uh, yeah, yeah, take a hard look at the information that's coming is my only advice to other people and, you know, save it because it, it means something you know, it'll plug in somewhere um which we're finding out uh many clues that i got from the very first session in 2014 i still have not figured out yet jim i i vaguely or there's there are some memories of when he talked about being in the resistance group and how before i saw the photo i was able to tell you that there were men and that there were women in the group that yes. he talked about that. Did he not reference one of them as to being a doctor? Yes. Is that there, right? Yeah, there was uh, uh, one was a doctor, but there was some confusion because there was a thought that there was a second person in the photo okay. that also did doctoring. Okay. And, and they had something to do with helping people escape? Yes. The, uh, as I researched this okay. uh, further, yeah, this, this resistance group which was located around Dolphson and Omen in Holland. Um, they were involved in uh, helping downed airmen, allied airmen. I remember about them being out in the bush all the time. Yes, they had their little hideout out in the, yeah. the trees. And they had a system set up Yeah, of were, what each person was responsible to do in the group. Yeah, absolutely. Every okay. person, every person uh, had a job. And that's maybe how they put their teams together, right? You're responsible for clothing. You're responsible for medical assistance, right? You find us this, you find us that. Maybe this wasn't involved with food and so on. So they worked very much as a team, right? So a very good system. Can, can we go back now? Oh, certainly. Okay. <laughs> Next clue. Next clue. Where am I going to go with this? Um... I'm going to stay with 1940, the POW, for a moment, um, and trying to narrow down where in Posen he was taking. Now, I'm going to use Posen because it's easier for me to say, right? So I'll use Posen. Um, researching on the internet, uh, I quickly found a diagram of the city of Posen 
that showed two rings of forts. They're one ring smaller inside the other. Uh, forts, oh, at least 12 forts in the outer ring and many in the inner ring. And they were all set up uh, uh, many, many years ago, I think some in the 1700s, to protect a city from invasion. And these, some of these forts were being used by the Germans uh, in the Second World War. So I printed off this uh, ring of forts. Oh, I should say ring. Brings me back to another clue. In an earlier session, you had given me the word ring. That's all you gave me. I think that was actually the very first session. What does ring mean? Ring means a million things, right? I'm thinking wedding, you know, what? What is ring? So uh, when I see these rings of forts, I'm thinking I'm on to something. So I bring the picture in and I showed it to you and I said, where on this map did he go? Where was he taken? Quite simply. And I remember you taking the picture and looking at it, scanning over it very quickly. And then you pointed off the page to the top of the page, right? Uh, I just feel like that's a Karen thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> right? Okay, I missed something here, right? Uh, but it wasn't very far. It wasn't very far. And uh, I put an X on the piece of paper where you put your finger down. I said, okay, so it's very close to the north end of the town, but outside the outer ring of these forts. Um, then I asked for another clue, right? Why not ask for another clue? And uh, you said there was a B in it. A B is in a letter B. And uh, that's where that, that uh, part of this ended. So I went home again, right? All excited, got a new clue. So uh, I pulled up the same picture, couldn't get anything beyond that photo. So then I started looking, you know, Google Earth is a wonderful tool. You know, what's just north of this city? And then I had to wonder, okay, but were these clues from 1940 or these clues from 2015, right? Uh, no idea. So, uh, I started looking and recognized that there was a tank range. Can I pause for a second? Sure. Because I know you said that the ring clue came prior to you finding the forts. Did the map clue come before, before all of this as well? The, the map clue, uh, as it, the, the map of the city? Remember how you had said, um, where, like you had asked the question, where did he go? And she said, I don't know. And then yes. you said, well, what do you see? Right, right. That, um, no, that was, uh, um, we got, that's uh, dealing with uh, where he ended up in 1944-45. Okay, my apologies. And that, uh, I didn't even know at this point to head in that direction. So we weren't there just Darn. yet. <laughs> Not just yet. I was on my list though. I was on my list. So I'll go back to Posen. I found a tank range just north of the city, like very, very close, two, three kilometers uh, north of the city. So basically still within city limits. Um, this tank range was taken over by the Germans and being used by them as a tank range. But turns out it was also a prisoner of war camp, a work camp, uh, Stalag 21B. B, one of the clues, a B. So, oh, joy, right? 
Awesome. Could it be? So B, that's, that's a pun. That's a good pun. <laughs> yeah. Too many Bs. So ask the question, is this where he went? And there was a definitive yes. Awesome. Now I know where he went in 1940. Nobody else knew anything about this. So uh, that was another big piece of the puzzle. What he did when he got there, um, who he was there with, that came up in other sessions. Um, so what do I do at this point? It was try to lay the framework of year to year where he went, uh, uh, what he did basically, and then come back and try and fill in all those little holes. But at least I got a general picture, so I know where I'm going with this, uh, this research. So I kind of left it there. And uh, then we moved on to another session. Now, I'm probably going to be chronologically out of order here, but I don't think it really matters. Um, I'll get into the, uh, uh, the second time he was taken prisoner. He had joined the resistance group, right? He had, had done some work with downed pilots. And um, actually, you know what? I'm going to backtrack here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay with the resistance group for a moment because uh, I think this needs to come up first. Um, the picture, the picture of the group with all the false names attached to it, right? You could, you could tell by the names that these things had to be made up. They were almost characterish, you know, cartoonish, right? There were two gentlemen in the, in, the, in the first row, the first row that were identified as one was identified, I believe, as an English pilot and another one as a Canadian machine gunner. Uh, why? Well, I can only assume the machine gunner was being called a machine gunner because he was holding a machine gun. But the machine gun was clearly one that was aircraft mounted, right? This isn't something you're carrying around. This is a big brute of a machine gun. And he just happened to be hanging on to it. So somebody decided to call him a machine gunner. They gave him a name. I don't remember what name they gave him, but it was not right. So in trying to determine a little bit more about this group, logical to figure out who these people are, right? And just maybe one of them is still living, right? That was a hope of mine. So I zeroed in on these two pilots because as military members, there's a better chance of there being some kind of history tracked through their units. So I just happened one day to come across another one of the same photographs. This time, there was a write-up beside it that identified these two military people by name. Okay? The first gentleman that was the pilot, uh, his name was Richard Vogel. Okay? And the machine gunner, we'll call him the machine gunner, was actually his co-pilot, uh, Mr. Sellers. From that, I good old Google, right? And I googled, I googled Sellers. I believe it was Sellers I chose first. And uh, I came across a book in probably like page 50 of the Google search, right? Never stop at page one and two. Keep going. The good stuff's at the end. And uh, so I pulled up this book. What is this book, right? Showed up a nice picture of the book. And it had a picture of a, a bomber on the book. And I'm going, oh, yeah, this is good. Now, the book is called... In the Shelter of His Wings, and it's written by Shirley Evans. And it, it doesn't look like it's a real popular book, 
but uh, there was a little write-up that started telling the story about uh, Mr. Sellers and how he had, you know, his bomber got into trouble and he had bailed out over Holland. And sure enough, he was taken up by a resistance organization and they uh, hid them in the bush in their little hut and, uh, you know, fed them, did first aid on them and did their best to move them around to try and get them back to England. Jim, I just have some memory, but please correct me if this isn't correct. When we, you were asking about that resistance group, I remember some of the women talking about using herbs and that they had, they had a talent or a gift to be able to help them with medicines and that part of the people in, the, in that group were doing stuff like that. So I guess that somehow this is tying into how yeah. when you read this, you're hearing about what they did. De- definitely. Uh, two of the ladies in, in, in the uh, photograph uh, were actually doing first aid on these two pilots. Uh, the, the actual pilot, Mr. Vogel, he, when he bailed out, he got caught on some cables and stuff and he tore himself open on, on, on the way out of the aircraft. So he was in bad shape. When he hit the ground, he hurt his back and whatnot. So he wasn't doing well. So uh, these ladies actually did first aid on him, brought him back to the same location with Mr. Sellers. And uh, so this is how the group all got together eventually and eventually had this photo taken, right? So a uh, big connection right there, huge connection. Um, sadly, though, when I contacted uh, Miss Evans, the author of this book, uh, she told me that Mr. Sellers had just died. And I was kind of like, well, that, that was kind of sad because I was... Uh, Maybe we should talk to him sometime. Yeah, he, he, might, he might have <laughs> a couple. There you go, Jim. Next session. Yeah, I might have a few stories. Maybe he doesn't speak in riddles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that'd be fun. But, uh, <laughs> he still wants me to talk to his grandpa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, uh, yeah, uh, so that kind of tied, tied uh, up a little bit of that story, um, kind of like made a big circle out of it, which was really, really nice to see that there was something actually out there that wasn't obviously tied to it initially, right? Uh, which kind of goes to show you that you could be searching for an answer in one location, right? But it could be already out there in four other locations, just uh, with a different title on it, right? And nobody's actually put the two of them together to actually close the story off. And uh, when you're doing investigations, that's quite often what you find. There's always an answer. You just have to find where it's hiding, right? Speaking of, of closing things off, um, not the show, uh, <laughs> the, going back to um, the fort where you had picked it and the letter B came up, you did not share what the place was actually called. Uh, that, that was the, the Stalag uh, 21B? Yep. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, you know what, I yeah. got to read it because I don't even know how to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, it's in your notes, so take your time and, and go to it. Somewhere in my notes. I promise I put it in there. <laughs> I think it was like Beardrusco. Uh, you know, I got to spell that out. I uh, can't just. Uh, there we go. All right, I'm going to spell this. It's a B I E D R U S K O. And, and that's in Poland. Um, and it was home to uh, basically a tank range. It's like a community within the tank range itself. 
So it was used as a prisoner war camp in the First World War as well. So there's some history behind that location and some cool photos you can pull off the internet. And uh, with any other experience dealing with stuff in Europe, a lot of stuff didn't change all that much. So I can imagine the photos that I see from the First World War of that camp, uh, that's probably what uh, my grandfather saw when he ended up going there. So and all this, this just leads into many more sessions. So I'm going to cut myself off there. And uh, we're going to go to, we're going to jump to, uh, yeah, we're going to jump to the map. I got to get into that map. There was always a big uh, question in my mind of, was he taken uh, prisoner again at some point during the war? Now we've established he was a, he was a soldier. He went to a POW camp. He was released from the POW camp. There's a point we never brought up. We'll tie that up for a second. Um, Hitler decided that, for whatever reason, that he would be nice to the, the Dutch people. Um, you know, thanks for invading my country kind of thing. Uh, so he decided he'd release the Dutch soldiers uh, within six to eight weeks of their capture in hopes that they would play along and not bother his troops and, uh, you know, just kind of be good old citizens, right? Um, so he released them all. They all went home within six to eight weeks. Uh, what actually happened, though, is majority of them decided that they joined up with the resistance and they caused all kinds of chaos. So very shortly after releasing them, Hitler put out a notice that he wanted them all to voluntarily come back and be prisoners again. Right. Uh, that, that's, that's an absolutely wild thing to ask for. Uh, grandfather, obviously, he said, no, there's no way I'm going back. Some did for their own reasons. Uh, maybe they thought that it was the thing to do, that they'd save their families. Uh, you know, they wouldn't be harmed if they went back. So they went and did that. The, that's their choice. But the vast majority did not go back to, to the camps. So... He's out of the prisoner war camp. He's back home. At some point, he joins the resistance group. But that left a huge gap in the history. There was just, there was something really big missing in there. It did not fit with me. One story within my uncle's book um, stated that he, had, he came home and my mother could barely walk but went running down the driveway to see him. My mother was born in 43. If he got released in 1940, there's no way that that event took place at that point. She was not born yet. If she could barely walk, uh, you're looking at late 43, so October 43, probably close to two years of age, I would guess. So you had to be looking sometime in 1944, 45 for that uh, event to have taken place. So he was coming home from somewhere, apparently head-shaved, very frail. So that tells me he just, well, he didn't go shopping, he didn't go out fishing, right? He was, something had taken place. But the way it was written in the book made it sound like it happened in 1940. So there was a, there, there was a problem with that, that part of the story, and I needed to sort that out. So, uh, 
Drafting everything down on a timeline, it became obvious to me that he had to have been captured. He was taken away, for whatever reason, to some location and returned home just before the end of the war, which in Holland would have been, let's, let's just say April 45. In some places it was earlier, some places it was a month later. So we'll say April 45. So that was a big problem now. What, where did he end up? This is turning into one of the biggest pieces of this puzzle now. So came up to another session. Time for another session. We got to find out. And uh, straight to the point, um, was he taken to another prison camp in late 1944? And I'm trying to remember the exact response. Um, but it, basically, I, I believe it came out that yes, he was taken somewhere. And I asked, where did he go? And his answer was quite quick, saying, I don't know. And, and that was another stunner. I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Right? If you didn't know where you were then, that would be one thing. But you certainly know now. right? You, you know, where did you go? For whatever reason, he didn't want to give me the name of the location that he went. So from there, I decided, well, let's try and attack it from another angle. What does this place look like? Right? What was it called? What were the people there doing? And maybe we can put something together as a general description and try and place it somewhere. Um, understanding that there's literally thousands of camps, thousands and thousands of camps in four, five, six occupied countries in Europe at the time. Pretty big geographical area. So what did this camp look like is what it came down to. Um, you started describing what the camp looked like and then you grabbed the pen and the paper again and you started drawing. And at this point, you were telling me that you could see it. My grandfather was showing you the camp. And uh, I do my best here to describe this map that you, you drew for me. Um, I'm okay there, yeah. Um, you started drawing a road uh, a small road, but at the end of this road, it ended with a loop, like a, like a, uh, like a cul-de-sac kind of thing. And then just above this road, you drew a small, not quite rectangular shape, which we refer to as a field. Then to the left of this field, right along the side, was a longer uh, rectangular shaped field, a narrow one. And inside this field, you drew many lines and you stated quite clearly that these are rows of trees. So picture a, a plantation of trees, right? They've all been planted, nice, even rows of trees. Now, above this, you drew a path. Apparently, there was a path leading from the corner of this field through a group of trees. So, okay, we got the nice path. Then clusters of trees. Then above that, beyond that yet, you drew an arc. Say an upward facing arc. Just a small one. And you said it was a river. Which I thought was a little bit odd because it's a funny... You know, people draw rivers a little squiggly, right? Generally, that's what you're drawing. This was a simple arc. Beyond that arc, you drew mountains. You said you could see mountains. 
beyond that. So that was a pretty good map. And I was really excited. This, this is awesome. We never got a directional, what's north, south, east, or west. We never got a name. We never got a country. We got this map, right? Which was way more than I ever got before. So I, I was thrilled, right? I was going to go rush right home and I was going to find this place. I actually thought I'd find it just like that, right? <coughs> so this actually took me, oh, I'm going to say at least, at least 60 days. At least 60 days and on a fluke, on a fluke. Because um, I really had no starting point, no starting point at all. So looking back over the broad uh, cluster of clues that we'd gathered over, let's say, a year of, uh, of sessions, um, and just the way the war was going, I'm looking at late 44. What was going on in late 44? Uh, all through Europe. Well, the Allies had already invaded. Uh, they were moving through Belgium into Holland. They, they'd cleaned out France. So I'm going, well, I don't believe it would be France that this camp would be in because the Allies were there. They wouldn't send somebody. I wouldn't send somebody that I just captured to France when France is uh, being overrun by Allies. Belgium was out for me. Luxembourg, that was also out. Switzerland was neutral. Nobody was going to Switzerland. So then I looked down Italy ways. No, the Canadians were making the push north through Italy uh, at that period of time. Uh, so wouldn't have been Italy. Yugoslavia. For some reason, I decided it was not going to be in Yugoslavia. Uh is there a clue with a letter at this point? Am I remembering incorrectly? A letter. For some reason, I'm thinking there was another clue with a D. A D. Ah, uh, the D. Yes, the D. Um, that came in on a follow-up session. Okay. Right? So probably the month after when I'd been pulling my hair out trying to figure this sucker out. Uh, and since you mentioned, uh, yeah, that'll fit right in with the story. Uh attacking it, the location from another angle yet. Okay, how did you get from point A, somewhere in Holland, to this camp, right? How did you get there? Um, well, the obvious was the majority of people traveled by train. They were all boxed up in trains. And sure enough, he said he was on a train. He was on a train with a bunch of people from different countries, couldn't talk to any of them because they were all speaking different languages that he didn't understand. Um, well, couldn't you see out the train? No, I couldn't see out the train. There's no windows, right? So I guess maybe some people could see through little cracks in the boards because these are essentially cattle cars. And, uh, but nobody on the train knew. I believe we even asked, does anybody around you recognize where they are, where they're headed? Nobody knew. Nobody knew where they were going. Um, so they were on a train. That's all we had. Well, okay, well, eventually you had to get off the train, right? Did you see anything? Was there a road sign, right? And the letter D came up. And I said, D what, right? Just a D. Well, it, apparently the rest of the sign was covered up or obscured for whatever reason, right? Now, that, that's a common practice as well. 
when there's an invading army, right? The, you would cover up or, or tear down road signs so they'd have trouble navigating, right? Got to make it hard for them, right? So it's possible that the sign was covered or destroyed and all there was was a D left. I don't know. So I'm looking for a D. Well, D, that's, you know, in Europe, there's lots of Ds. And was it on a road sign? Was it on a building? Was it on a train? Was it on a truck? A license plate? D could have been anywhere. So the D was in the back of my head, but I couldn't really use it. I couldn't really use it yet. So we're on a train and we're headed somewhere. We didn't even know what direction. I took out Austria because I do recall in one of my sessions, I asked, did he go to Austria? And you said no. So Austria was gone, right? And, and, and Czechoslovakia didn't work for me. It just didn't work. So immediately I said, well, you know what? It was Germany or Poland. Now Germany, uh, if you know the geography, the shape of the country, there's a large section above north of Czechoslovakia bordering Poland. But there's also uh, the larger chunk of Germany heads down towards Switzerland and Italy, right? So that's a vast part of the country to, to find a camp in a camp of thousands. Well, in late 1944, there was a lot of movement, a lot of movement of prisoners. Uh, camps were being overrun. So ahead of the Allied forces, the Germans would pack up their people, the ones they didn't kill, and they'd stuff them on trains and they'd move them to another location into the heart of Germany somewhere uh, so they could keep them longer, Right. They did not want them falling into Allied hands. In fact, Hitler decreed that none of the prisoners would fall into Allied hands. Maybe because they could tell the story about what was going on, or maybe he just really wanted to use them. I doubt it. But So lots of things were on the move. So I had to take that into account as well. Why would this train go somewhere that was going to be invaded? I ended up looking in Poland. And key features on the map there's mountains there had to be a mountain range in sight and there was a river usually a river near a mountain but I used the mountain range first well, along the southern part of Poland is all mountainous right and certainly the border with Czechoslovakia that's all mountains as well so I'm like okay maybe maybe if I position a map in this direction mountains over here I should be looking somewhere just north of this mountain range but that's still a very large area. Then I started looking at the battle maps. The Red Army, uh, the Soviets, were doing a massive push from the east in, in 44. And they had a lot of momentum. They were moving fast. And they were cleaning out a lot of countries. And Germany was getting squished back towards Berlin. So, all right, I'm not going to go too far into eastern Poland. Because that's already in the Soviets' hands. So I took a look at the camps that had not yet been liberated. And uh, I ended up basically central Poland. I grabbed Google Earth. I said, now i got to find this camp, right? And when I look at things, oh yes, another major clue. I skipped this one. He stated it was not a main camp. It was not a big name camp, right? Uh, many big camps, Mauthausen. Uh, Bergen-Belsen, right, uh, Auschwitz, everybody knows Auschwitz, wasn't those camps. He was not, this camp was not that. So, okay, 
got a list of those camps to give me an idea of which ones had been liberated at this point in time. And then from there I went to Google Earth and I just started scanning. I gotta, I gotta find something from this map somewhere. And uh, I started looking for this traffic circle, this little loop at the end of the road. And I remember I did this for many, many weeks. Probably over a month I was looking at Google Earth, going crazy, going cross-eyed. And one day I sat back and I let, let the computer screen kind of drift slowly across uh, as I zoomed in. And there it was. There was a traffic circle. I'm going, this is the only one I've seen. And I've been doing this for how many days? Right? That's okay. That's got to mean something. So I stopped, uh, stopped uh, the, the scan and I, I zoomed right down in there. There was the road. It ended in a loop. Above the road was a field. Beside the field was another field with rows of trees in it. And I'm like, I'm getting excited now. I mean, really? No way. And then there was the path that went from the field through the, through the trees. Then I zoomed out. And this was the moment, right? There's a river. Not only any river, it was a river that was shaped exactly like the arc you had drawn on the page. And then beyond the river, in a, in a distance, was a mountain range. And I'm like, no way. This has got to be the place right? I'm assuming you're laughing at this oh, point. I, oh, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. And I'm also going, really? Like, Jim, can it, I get, per can I ask you something? Sure. Like, I, I can't believe I fucking does, can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it blows my mind that your grandfather comes through and draws all these things for you. Um, how does that feel being his grandson in that moment? When you know your grandpa did that for you? Well, I mean, it's a very proud moment, big, big time. Uh, you know, and this is a story he's obviously told nobody, right? Maybe my grandmother, I don't know, never had a chance to ask her either. But nobody else in the family knows anything about this. Um, maybe I'm the first one to ask. I don't know. But it, it, was, it, was, it was an awesome feeling, right? Uh, now we're getting right down to the dirt of this story. And uh, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, but then, like, like, go back to this map. I, I was really kind of shocked when I zoomed out where, I, where this, this location actually was. It was, if you're looking at a map, and you can find the camp of Auschwitz, this is within 10 kilometers north of Auschwitz that close in an area that had at least 10 other camps some coal mines chemical plants um shoe factory and of course auschwitz one two and three right uh lots of activity there so uh, you know what was he doing in this little camp what purpose did this camp have and this is where the story is still being worked on but it, it starts to broaden and, and this was just an absolutely miraculous moment. In fact, I did nothing after finding that, right? It was just kind of like bobbing around and kind of in disbelief, really, because this was one part of the story I never thought I would get. And I don't know why I thought that, but maybe it was a statement to him saying, I don't know where I was, right? If he doesn't know, how am I supposed to know, right? So uh, this uh, monumental challenge, and I was... I was uh, Absolutely amazed when I found it. It was absolutely terrific. And it matched your drawing to a T. 
it was bang on, absolutely bang on. So uh, that, that was awesome. And, and that kind of told me he wanted me to find this. There's no way I would have found it otherwise. So, um, yeah, the story got good from there. Really good. <laughs> Did you find the D? The D. The D had nothing to do with that that oh. I could find yet. Okay. I'm still working on that D. Yeah. Oh, yes. My notes. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Any escape from this camp? Walked away. That's that's uh, another part of the story we'll get into down the road. Um, because there's some other uh, very interesting stuff, uh, clues, shall I say, from, from other sessions. Um, after, he, after he got away from this camp, uh, uh, well, spill the beans, now he walked away. He, they were abandoned by the guards, so he just packed up and he left. And uh, so, okay, where did he go, right? Now I've got this return trip, right? I mean, it couldn't have been that easy. There's still all kinds of war going on in all directions, right? So you got away from this camp, right? Where did you go next? And that's where I came in for another session. And I started plugging away at the return trip, right? Which would have been, uh, I'm going to say, February 1945, right? Between then and April, he was on some mad adventure trying to get home. So we weren't getting too much as far as uh, place names along the route. And that's what I was really trying to zero in on. So back to another process, you know, what did you see on your way home, right? I can imagine a ton. But what prominent features did you see? A, a fancy building, a church steeple, uh, a road sign, something. What did you see on your way home that could help me determine your route? And at one point you drew an M, a capital M, on a piece of paper. At the base of the legs of the M, you drew what could be described as two inverted T's, one on each leg. Uh, just to the outside of it. And uh, that's not a normal looking M, but it's a capital M, clearly a capital M. Uh, but that's all we got with that, was a capital M. Um, change? The word change? Yes, that that's on, I'm going to save that for the oh. following session. Okay. Uh, yeah, these were not easy clues. <laughs> he, he was, I, I, th I think he thought I was getting good, so he had to start making this harder. <laughs> Space them out. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want the story to end just yet, right? Well, you do have a whole retirement ahead of you. <laughs> oh, man, yes. So, yeah. Oh, boy. So, anyways, I I'm back home again, and I'm trying to find an M. Well, the way it was drawn could lead me in many different directions, right? Uh, at, at some point, I came across an M on a road sign that was... Uh, it depicted a train, a train stop. M in Europe, common uh, for metro, right? So when I started plugging that in, it was obvious that everybody used this M to signify a train. So I'm thinking, okay, did he get on a train? Could it be that easy? It was too easy. It came too quick. And I knew it couldn't be right. But uh, in my notes here, I, I printed off a... Uh, a piece of paper that had all these different M's. And they're all different shapes, different sizes, different colors. 
all capital M's depicting Metro. But they didn't, they didn't make me laugh, right? It couldn't have been right. It, it wasn't there, right? It was, it was, it just did not feel right. So I knew I had to dig further. May I ask a question? Sure. And I'm going to apologize ahead of time because this might also be another session. <laughs> was the M the same one as when she said the word authority? That was the second session Darn. with the M. <laughs> Sorry, my intention's not to rush you. <laughs> not a problem. That's, oh, remind me about that rush. That's another little tidbit here that's actually kind of funny. But, uh, so I went home thinking I'd find an M. 30 days went by, no M. Well, lots of M's, but nothing that really stood out. So I came back in and I said, Karen, you got to give me more. I need more. This is not enough. And so right away you wrote down authority, the word authority. And you said something effective. It's like a signature, like a signature of authority. And then you also wrote the word change. So we've got authority, like a signature of authority, change, and it's all about this M, a capital M. So really nothing popped out at me immediately. I'm just like, oh God, right, here we go. So back to my computer again, and, and I'm looking and I'm looking. And uh, I will say that was probably easily another 30 days of scouring. And I'm talking probably no less than four to five hours a day of, of doing this. Not straight because my body can't handle that. I'm on the computer, off the computer, give the head a shake, try to regroup, right? You're missing something obvious. So I remember wandering around and I sat down in my chair and I was watching hockey and it's just a light bulb went off again. I had seen an M somewhere in my many months of research a big bloody capital M, but I couldn't remember where, I couldn't remember what it was on. So I went back to a bunch of sites I remember being on and it took probably a good hour and a half going on two hours and there it was, there's a capital M, but it didn't mean anything to me yet. So that's the M I remember seeing. And then I looked further and what I was looking at was uh, a printed piece of money uh, it's a mark, okay, a Reichsmark, which is, is uh, which was used in Germany at the time. But this was a piece of money that was printed by the Allies. They would pay their troops using this money. Um, you wouldn't have wanted to use American dollars because you'd uh, negatively affect economy on both sides. And you didn't want to give American dollars to the Germans, right? Because that would help their economy. Um so this money was printed out, handed out to the soldiers so they could go about their business, buying this, buying that, whatever they needed. Um, but it was printed by the Americans. It was printed by the Italians with a little bit of a variation. It was also printed by the French with a little variation. And it was printed by uh, the Soviets with a little variation. But it was all marks with a big M in it. Now, at the top of this bill, there was, there was two words written and translated, it's, it, it means military authority. And that was the moment, right? Another giggle, just like, you got to be kidding me, <laughs> right? Okay, grab the clues again, which I always do. I go back to the clues just to go check this out first before you get too excited, right? Okay, big M, yep, it's big M. It sort of looks like that M, yep. Uh, the clues, 
signature of authority, military authority, that's good. And then change, change. And then I really started laughing, change. Well, it's money. It's change, right? Awesome. <laughs> and it says right in the middle, Deutschland. Yeah. So I just like, it's perfect. He saw this money, saw this money, was given this money, got this money somehow, or, or, or was exposed to it. That in itself, uh, that, that's an awesome clue, but there has to be something beyond that, right? It's, it, it's just money. You could get that anywhere in that theater, right? So what does this mean, right? So that took me down the road to yet another clue. Okay, I'm excited to hear all of the rest of the clues. Um, and this is where we originally left off the first couple times we tried to uh, record this. So maybe this is a good place to leave off again uh, and, and ask you to come back. Is that, are you still willing to go through Uh-oh. the trouble? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah not a problem. Uh, stay tuned for part two. Uh, there's more to come. Okay, excellent. And Jim, is it okay? Um, I'm asking for consent. Can we put a photo of you up or um, something on the website for it to help people identify you? Sure. Okay, uh, because we've also said to you a couple times that we want to be able to help fill in gaps for you. So if people are listening to this and they hear something similar to you know a story that they've heard from, from relatives, uh, perhaps they can email us and we can forward everything on to you to help uh, fill in those blanks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's uh, lots of information out there. You never know where it's going to come from. Okay, excellent. Well, first of all, thank you for coming. Uh, And actually, I also want to thank you because you've been so kind as to let me scan uh, all of the maps and all of the drawings and things that you've accumulated. Or I shouldn't say all, very few, um, but the ones that are relevant to the story today. Yes, uh, very welcome. Uh, It's... uh... It's a great story, great experience. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, so we are going to encourage you to tune in for part two. Uh, but if you do have questions or comments about anything that you heard today, please email us at info at We hope you have a wonderful weekend.